At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This episode is powered by denanywhere.com, the online extension of Den Meditation. Our primary goal is to make meditation and personal growth available to all so that you truly understand and learn to love yourself, thus creating more harmony and success not only in your life, but within the world. We offer online programs, teacher trainings, retreats, free meditations, and many programs to further your growth. So go explore all the possibilities. Go to denanywhere.com now. You guys, I've got news. It is our 100th episode. Can you believe it? I mean, I can't at all, but I'm so thrilled. And I just want to thank you all for listening. And I want to thank you all for understanding what we're trying to do here. And nothing makes us happier here who are working on this and talking to all these amazing guests. When we get comments from you, whether it be reviews or DMs, we just love to know that you are understanding it and getting moved and growing because that is the whole point. And look, I love it. I get to talk to some of the most incredible people. And I'm so glad Gal is our 100th episode because he is so incredible. But I mean, I get to sit here and learn and grow. So the fact that we are hearing that you guys are also being affected by this is huge. So thank you. I mean, everyone who has worked on this and makes this happen every single day, Nicole and Andy and Hayden and Reem. I mean, Reem and I conceived this idea together. I am so thankful. And Nicole works her ass off like it's nobody's business. But again, this wouldn't exist if you guys weren't listening. So thank you to all of you. This is our first Den Talks Live of 2020, so we're so excited. Thank you for being here. And I couldn't be happier to have Gal with us, who this is now his third episode of Den Talks Podcast. You guys have to check out his other episodes because they're amazing. Number 27, which is Riding the Cosmic Waves. We get so into his journey and how he got to where he is. I re-listened to that episode, and you're so brilliant. I love it. Like I really love listening to it. Yes. And then, sorry. <laughs> and then number 80 just came out, which is kind of when we talk about names and just, just the purpose of the name, and I love it. And you should check that out, too, because he always kind of goes back to, like, your name is your purpose. So I'm so excited that you're here again. Gall, I saw, and I've told this story on the podcast before, before I opened up the den, and kind of basically to be like, am I crazy or am I not crazy? Long story short, he told me I was both. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But he did tell me, he kind of whispered as I was walking out his door, he was like, and if you do end up opening it, and if you do need help and you want me to do something, I'll do something for you. Like, And he kind of threw it. And I was like, oh, okay, amazing. Because, I mean, he goes everywhere. He's teaching at Esalen. He just got back from Istanbul and London and, I mean, everywhere. This guy is huge and world-renowned. And, you know, W Magazine said he was the number one astrologer in L.A. So I was like, of course I'm going to ask him. And we opened February 1st, and I think two weeks later, he was here doing a workshop. So it just shows you what kind of guy he is also. Not only is he just so brilliant and talented at what he does, but he's just a good human. And so I'm so happy to have you here because not only is it our first of 2020, it is also our 100th 
episode. That's pretty amazing. And so I love that you're part of that. And it's actually happening. We're like a week away from our fourth anniversary, too. So I do feel like, of course, it makes sense that you're the one who's sitting here tonight. Ah, so we're going to do the class on astrology on your anniversary. Pretty much. Yes, so February 1st. A, we should bring a cake. Oh, I love that. So you guys, you're going to want to dig in and ask so many questions about 2020, which we'll talk a little bit about. But he is going to be here February 1st, which you're right, is our birthday. Um, and he's doing a workshop, Astrology for 2020, where he's going to get into all the nitty-gritty of everything you need to be aware of and do. So make sure you sign up for that also. And yeah, maybe we should do a cake. I love that idea, actually. With 100 candles. 100 candles, yes. Um, but yeah, in our 100th episode today. So thank you guys for being here. As you all know who've been here before, um, we do a Q&A at the end, so get your questions ready, because sometimes by the time you get to the end, you get either nervous or excited, but you have an awesome opportunity to ask him stuff, and we can usually only get so many in, so just be prepared. And then we always like hang out at the outside, where we do light bites and snacks and drinks, and we can talk. And we have his book, actually, Astrology for 2020, being sold at the front, and also Cosmic Navigator. So please don't hesitate to buy those as well. And he is here if you want him to sign. If they want me to, okay. yeah. If you, want, if you would like his signature, he's here to sign. So welcome, Gal, and thank you so much for being here. No, thank you guys for coming. Uh, today is a very auspicious day. Before we even begin, it's, uh, anybody knows what, what, what's happening today? It's a new Chinese New Year. The Chinese New Year. It's the year of the? Metal rat. It's the, um, yeah, because if you think about conjuring a mis a, 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 like an image of this year of the white rat, um, the metal rat, what kind of image do you get? Metal rat. Yeah. Cold a little bit, maybe, but? Strong. Busy, but come on, it's a, it's a robot. It's a, it's, a, it's a rat made of metal, I mean, precisely. And this begins, uh, always the new, always, first of all, the, the year, the Chinese New Year always starts on the new moon in Aquarius, which is very auspicious because we start our new year on January 1st, which, astrologically speaking, nothing really happens. <laughs> but the Chinese New Year, the Tibet New Year, the Jewish New Year, the... Uh, a Persian New Year, there's a lot of New Years that actually begin according to astrology. We'll talk about it next week, that first was astrology, then came religion, and then came science, because astrology is the mother of religion and science. So a lot of time what happened is first we have an astrological phenomenon, and then after that comes the story that covers it, which is really religion and mythology, and later on uh, science. But we will talk about it next week. But today is the new moon in Aquarius. And Aquarius, anybody's an Aquarius here? Good. So happy birthday. Happy birthday to um, the center. Because the center has to be Aquarius because Aquarius is all about community, people, awareness, the future. But it's also technology, innovation, thinking outside of the box. So today literally is one of the best days, by the way, to reboot or to reconnect to your New Year resolution. Because, because it's a new moon and Aquarius rules manifestation and hopes, it's a great day to push it forward. And it happens to be the Chinese New Year of the first branch. The first branch means the first sign, which is the rat. And because it's metal, it's very auspicious. Last time it happened was 1960. Um, it happens every 60 years because it's considered to be the best kind of rat. Because the white rat, according to the Greek mythology, the Japanese mythology, the Chinese mythology, 
is a good rat. Because the black rats are the ones that brought the plague. You know, so you have to be aware of the difference. But the white represents the metal. And the metal is, for me at least, a beginning of 60 years of focus on artificial intelligence and the convergence of soul and machine. Oh my God, there's so much to unpack in that. Um, well, because I, I have so many questions on that, because it's interesting. So you're saying, like, astrologically, January 1st has really nothing. Because I found it so fascinating. I mean, it's also 2020. Everyone was kind of all wrapped up in the idea of, like, it's a new decade, a new decade. And it almost felt like everything took more import because of that. It was like the resolutions had to be bigger. The energies were going to be bigger. Is there anything about that astrologically or energetically about a new decade? Or no, it's just another turn of the year. No, it's another turn of the year. And, and I think it was Julius Caesar who decided 46 uh, BCE to begin this idea of starting the year in January. January is named after Janus, the, god, uh, the Roman god of the gateways. Uh, he had two heads, one a young head looking at the future year and one an old head looking the other direction at the year that just passed. So it's a two-headed dog, a god dog. It's a two-headed god. Um, so, but there's nothing, astrologically speaking, happening in January 1st. The only thing is that this year specifically, and maybe it is related to the synchronicity of it being a, a new decade, is that we had quite a lot of uh, phenomena, the, the, the eclipse on January 10, the uh, Saturn-Pluto conjunction on January 12, uh, that are intense, intense on the level of every 40 years and so forth. So this year is pretty powerful. Uh, January 1st itself, nothing happened, but January itself, a lot happened. And you can see it in the news. So now you made, uh, you were saying that this is a good time, this new moon is a great time to kind of reboot your resolutions. Mm -hmm. Are you a big person on resolutions? Do you believe in resolutions? I think they're important because we need goals. I am not very much, I mean, my first book on Kabbalah was A Wish Can Change Your Life. So obviously I do believe that if you put intention on things that you want to manifest, you can manifest it. Um, the problem with New Year Resolution is that people started at the wrong time and wish for the wrong things. Because even according to uh, studies they made in psychology, they found out that actually uh, about eight, no, about 90% of New Year Resolutions fail. So the statistics is not on your side. And already by now, approximately 70% of the resolutions failed. It's already the end of January. Can we take a poll? How many of you made resolutions this year? And how many of you are already kind of off of them? Oh, that's good. Wow, most of you are still on them, though. That's actually impressive. Are you telling the truth is now the next question. <laughs> are you all telling the truth? Well, kudos to you guys. That's actually very yeah, impressive. That's a good so I statistic. guess I guess that ten percent is all in the room. <laughs> yeah, but don't forget when you guys are conscious and aware, and you're trying to fix yourself, you're trying to understand better. So obviously, you're going to be in that percentage of people who are actually having the discipline to manifest it. But the number one issue that they found about resolutions and wishes is that a lot of time we ask for things that other people think we should have. I love and this. That is area. a big issue because it's subconscious. You know, people tell you, come on, you've been single already for two years. Don't you think it's time to meet somebody? And you completely didn't think about it. You're actually having a good time for the last two months because it took you a year and a half to get over the relationship. <laughs> and the last two months, you're having fun. Now she's telling me to put me in another relationship. 
but you know, it's right, it's two years, what's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, I wish for a partner, which is not what you really need. And then when you want something that you don't need, there is a, there is a conflict. So your higher self is saying no, your ego is saying why not, and they're arguing and nothing happens. Talk about that connection between the higher self and ego a little bit more. Because I think that, you know, we have certain kind of layers to, I wouldn't call it our soul, to our existence, to who we are. The, the higher self is the one that is more connected to, uh, let's say, the oneness. I'm not saying above because it's, it's misleading, but to that concept of oneness. Because we we're all here to experience that oneness. Even according to Kabbalah, there was the one. There was a, a breaking from that one in order for the one to know oneself. And then that break, which is all of us, are trying to come back to the one. In fact, one of my uh, theories, maybe because I had a long-distance relationship, and I do believe in, in relationships and even in long-distance relationship, if it's the right relationship, and I kept feeling that when I miss them, you know, and the long-distance relationship, it demands a lot, of, a lot of work, you know, compassion and understanding and good communication and trust. And then I thought, wait, that's all what we came here to learn anyway, all of us, even if we don't have a relationship or have a relationship with somebody who lives next door. You know, with all these apps now, it's very easy to find somebody who's five meters away, you know. So I thought these are the lessons that we all have because we all have the long-distance relationship between us and that oneness we are all talking about. And what happened? When we're born, we are in distant relationship. So all of us are in a long-distance relationship with God, or like uh, Rumi talked about, the beloved, you know, that uh, connection to that idea of oneness. And that's why when we are born, we cry, because we realize, oh my God, it's now going to be a lifetime before I see my beloved again. And then we try to connect to them, we try to, to feel that oneness, and every once in a while we do. Usually we long for a relationship with somebody to give us a reflection of that connection. Because if I can make a connection between us, we're two, and become one, then that's a feeling of oneness, and it gets us connected to our memory of being at one with that oneness. You know? so, I think that there is the part of us that is connected to that oneness all the time. Almost as if you have a, a URL, right? And you know the website that you need to get to, denmeditation.com, and you know that it's there in your, uh, you have it saved on your bookmarks or whatever. So that is your higher self. It's connected to the server. But you sometimes have to, your ego has to decide if you want to click on it, if you want to type Den Meditation, or if you want to type something else. You know what I mean? I'm not going to suggest which other websites you need to right now. Only the den. <laughs> yes. So there is a part of us that is closer, let's say closer, it's, it's, it's misleading, but connected much more to the oneness. And there is a part of us that is in charge of survival. That's the ego. Ego is not bad. We need the ego. I mean, all the people that think we need to dismiss the ego. The ego dismisses, I think, automatically when you're on your path and when you're connected to the oneness. I don't think you need to make a lot of work to get rid of your ego because it can be self-destructive. But we all, I mean, that lower part that we talked about, let's call it lower for figurative, is um, our, our survival, our fear of survival. And if it's a fear of survival as a country and they're afraid of immigrants or afraid of uh, any kind of minority, or if it's a fear of survival of a person, that there's not enough. So there's feeling of... A scarce resources, we don't have enough, whether it's a country, whether it's a family, whether it's an individual, that's more connected to the ego, the need to protect. 
There is a part of all of us, whether it's a country, whether it's a person, whether it's a family, that is connected to the oneness and knows that once you're, once you're with the one, there is, no, there is no scarce resources. Everything is oneness. It's interesting. We were talking about this in class the other day, literally that, and we were actually connecting it to the idea of prosperity, and that prosperity is connected to that sense of self-worth and knowing yourself and being connected to the oneness. And it was as simple as, you know, we were actually talking about Yogi Bhajan, but as simple as he used to say, the rules of prosperity are so different than you would think. He was saying, don't talk ill of others and don't talk ill of yourself, because part of talking ill of others is automatically assuming there's not enough to go around for everyone. This, pro this idea of scarcity Precisely. that you're talking about, which I love, which is just the idea of trying to negate someone else or not be happy for them automatically assumes that if they're successful, you can't be successful. Or if something good happens to them, something good can't happen to you. Of course. And if there is oneness, if something good happens to somebody else, it automatically happens to you, if you're connected to that oneness. If you're not connected to that oneness, then why is it happening to her and not to me? That's... That's not oneness, you know. And it's interesting. Anybody's a Taurus here? Every sign has a message, has a teaching. And the teaching of Taurus is really interesting because Taurus is the sign of money. And Taurus is earth. Taurus is mother nature. And all of our uh, wealth comes to us from the earth herself, whether it's from trees or vegetables, whether it's from uh, uh, minerals that are under the ground. You know, everything grows from her. And the teaching of Taurus is very simple. Taurus is the sign of money. That's why when the market is doing well, what do we call the market? Bull. A bull market, right? Uh, cows were associated with prosperity in the past. If you had one cow, you're rich. If you have two cows, you're very rich. You know, if you had no cows, uh, you're not that rich. You know, it's like owning today, we say uh, you own a home. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, the bank owns it, but you own it, at least on the paper. <laughs> that's, that's something. You know, in the past, you had a cow. Okay, the, uh, the bank owned the cow. At least you have a cow on your name. But, but Taurus is also the sign of talents. And that's how beautiful and deep astrology is. Because astrology for me is much more a system of philosophy than necessarily a science. And the concept is very simple. You are as wealthy as your talents. If you are talented, you can make money out of your talents. But what is missing in the formula, which is the last thing that Taurus rules, which you mentioned before, self-worth. So if you have talents, and you have self-worth, worth, how much are you worth? Worth. Then you can translate it into money. Because money is the last thing that came. First came the talent. Oh, you do very well uh, uh, pottery. That's great. So you know what? You don't have to work in the field anymore. I'll work your field. Just make pots, okay? Just make pots for all of us so we can put the grain and keep the rats away. Then it became a profession. Then she started making money because she's really talented in her pots. And the other one started doing, growing something, and the other one was specialized in doing something else, and the other one invented writing, and he started writing things. So that's how everything started. But first came your talent, and your belief in the talent. And that's why artists, for example, are also ruled by Taurus. And that's why a lot of time paintings, for example, are like a, an extra stock market. You know, in paintings, they go up, they go down in prices. It's all related to Taurus. It's all money. But... The idea of, to of artists is coming across a lot with prayers. What do you say at the end of the prayer, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Jew, or whether you're a Muslim? Amen. And amen is in Hebrew, it means to believe. But the root of amen is the same root as faith. So if you say, do you have faith? We say emunah. 
or somebody who is a believer, ma'amin, and somebody who is an artist, oman. It's the same three letters that make the root. So the roots of the word artist and the word for faith is the same. Why? Because an artist has to wake up every day, and I'm, talking to the, I'm preaching to the choir because all of you are probably in Hollywood and all of you are artists one way or another. <laughs> you have to wake up and believe that you're an artist because who told you you're an artist? I'm an actress. Okay, did you get any roles? Not yet, I'm auditioning. But she could be very well the next person in 10 years that will get an Oscar. But she needs to believe it. Because if she does not believe it, she will never get an acting gig. I mean, the idea of faith I find fascinating because, you know, we were, we were just having this conversation the other day about, you know, a lot of people reject religion and, you know, then, for lack of a better word, you know, turn towards spirituality, but then have a little bit of trouble when they get into it sometimes because if you use the words like faith or God or power, it feels, you know, it evokes, and I get it, sometimes a visceral reaction of what they're trying to reject in the first place. Yeah, and a lot, of, a lot of us reject religion because of memories from past lives. Because a lot of us have been injured or suffered from religion, whether we were victims or where we were the one that inflicted the pain. It's still, we have memories that are not that good. I don't use the word God so much anymore. It sounds terrible. I used to love the word God. I don't use it anymore. When did that change for you? I think since uh, people started using more and more and more uh, religious terrorism, I think it happened after 9-11. I think that was a switch for me. And I grew up in Israel, so I saw everything in that sense. I saw buses blow up. I saw uh, people um, uprooting olive oils because they belong to Palestinians. You know what I mean? It's like I saw religion in its ugliest uh, face. And I kept saying God. But in the last 20 years, I find it very difficult to say God. So I say oneness or universe. Um. So it's the word God for you, but you still, has your idea of what it is changed? No, I always, from a really early age, I realized that there is no God like, sorry, I don't want to offend everybody, that the way I see the divinity or the oneness, it's not necessarily a dude up there in his second Saturn return, white with beard, somewhat muscular because Michelangelo was gay, and creating the universe um, with his huge bicep for somebody his age and distant from us and judging us to see if on Friday night we're drinking red wine or white wine and if we're fasting the way that it says in here, this book or that book, I mean... People are trapped in this kind of divinity. Uh, it's, 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 it's hard. If you have a God that's so judgmental, of course God is not judgmental, but their God is judgmental, it's, it's, it's a tough life. It's very stressful. I, you know, we talked a lot of actually, actually in our first interview about kind of this oneness, the idea of oneness and how it's cellular. It's in you. You're like, and I love how you talked about it today. You were born that way and the minute you come out that is why you are crying because you're separated and then you begin your journey of hopefully going back in. Can you talk about how astrology is connected to this idea of oneness? Yeah, because astrology would not work if there is no oneness. The whole premise of astrology is a one big synchronicity. That's why the person who coined the word synchronicity, who was it? Who invented the word? Not invented, who coined the idea of synchronicity for a meaningful coincidence? Yeah, Jung. So Carl Jung started it with Pauli, who was a very famous uh, physicist, and they came up with that idea that things are connected, correlated, they work together. But 
he probably got to it from his study in astrology. He was an astrologer, by the way. And he realized that there is a very strong correlation between whatever is happening above to whatever is happening below. Obviously, he was not the first one because he didn't invent astrology. But the idea is that because everything is connected, we can look at astrology, which has big bodies of, uh, you know, it's very easy to see where Mars is. It's huge, and it's moving in certain areas. It's almost as if it's a, it's a reflection of what's happening to life. So it's not like because Mars is in Aries, we act aggressively. The same way you can say that Mars is looking down and seeing that everybody is aggressive and realizes that he's probably in the constellation of Aries. You know, it's a correlation. It means that two things are happening simultaneously, but they don't necessarily have to be a cause and effect. And what Jung realized at that time, it was, don't forget, it was the quantum theory started coming up. It was the theory of, of um, relativity came out. It was a time that people changed the way they looked at classical physics of cause and effect, cause and effect. And Jung wanted to bring it into the psychological realm and realize that there is much more than cause and effect that there needs to be another element in physics to really understand it. And that's why they coined that idea of synchronicity, that there is a connection between the above and below. It's above and below, but there's a connection between masculine and feminine, the inside and the outside. Between everything, there is a synchronicity. There is when everything is connected. So it's one way of looking at oneness. And because for so many thousands of years, so many people put their energy into it, it's a very elaborate system of oneness, but it's all based on that idea that everything is connected and it's a symbolic system to understand life. I don't think the planets influence us or cause us to do things the same way I don't think we cause them to do anything. It's just that we're synchronized. We're all clocked. Don't forget, everything started in the Big Bang. The planets that we're looking at, the galaxies, everything, we all our cells, everything came from that moment. So everything is part of that oneness that exploded. You just were saying that you don't feel like the planets necessarily cause you to do things, which I, is fascinating because I feel like not all astrologers would say that. I feel like a lot would actually say, this is what's happening, you guys are all going to go crazy right now, or this is what's in your chart, so don't leave your house for three days. You know what I mean? It's and true. So talk about how your language and interpretation of astrology is that you have that nuance. Because I think that um, I'm not a very religious person. I've seen the dark side of religious, religion. And the same thing with astrology. People can be religious about yoga. People can be religious about meditation and decide that the most important thing is to meditate all day long. And then they basically stop living. You know? So you can be religious about everything. Or you can say, I only do transcendental meditation, that's my religion, and put down any, or I do this kind of yoga and other yogas are not. So you have religion, or what I call this fanaticism, you can say, um, in many different ways. And also in astrology, and it's very easy. I, I had a talk in uh, Bulgaria, like two, three years ago, and when I said that there is no way to prove astrology, and therefore it's not a science, you know, because Astrology, I think, came before science. It's not necessarily bending to the rules of science. So to call astrology a science is kind of silly. So they left. They stood up and left. They were famous astrologers. Nobody leaves. You know, no, that's like people that live close to the door. You know, but you, astrology is a certain tool, and I feel like it's, um, it's helping us understand where we are based on cycles that happened in the past, 
And then they give us almost like suggestion. It's like when you open your uh, Google map. It's not going to tell you where to go, right? But it's a chart that shows you where you are. And then you can see where you want to go. And then you can decide. Sometimes you have a choice, no highways. Or you see that it's taking you in a weird way. And you can say, no, no, I'm going to go there. You know, and, and Google Map doesn't get angry at you. The voice, her voice doesn't change, even though it's kind of a cool thing <laughs> to think about an application that if you turn all the time against, her voice gets higher or she gets pissed or she starts, you know, cursing She does get you. very repetitive. <laughs> yeah, but you get some emotions from the machine, you know. But the same thing with the chart. It tells you that there's a row that goes like this. You don't have to necessarily choose it. You have choice even if you have the map. But what astrology does, it tells you where you are. You know, today is a new moon. Okay, what does it mean? It means that today is a new moon. It's a new beginning of a cycle. And it's a new moon in Aquarius. And Aquarius symbolizes unity, people, communities, groups, nonprofit, philanthropic work, governments, organizations. And something is starting. Now it's up to you what you want to start. Now, there could be some elements starting already in your life, and you can, it's like a wave that comes to you, but you still have a choice how to pedal, when to stand up on your uh, surfboard, you know, or to let the, the wave go. These are all choices you have. What you don't have a choice is that you're in the sea on a, on a surfboard, and it's waves. There's a swell. But you still have a choice if you're going to uh, mount a, a, a wave that's going to destroy you, or if this is a too big one or a too small one, if you started pedaling on time and so forth. So talk about actually the idea of having a personal practice, whatever that may be, in conjunction with astrology. Like, you know what I mean? In the sense of you're saying, it's still your choice. Like, to be able to see it clearly, like, does a personal practice help with that? Or do you believe at all, like, full moons do provide more energy? Does Because I agree, a lot of times you hear it's this eclipse and that, and people are going nuts, and I'm like, I'm, I'm good. Like, I don't feel much. And then a lot of people are always like, well, you have like a strong practice, so you're probably not being as affected. And I'm like, is that how it works too? You know, there is, um, a, there is an idea that if you are very aware of something, you can go beyond it. Mm. If you're not aware of something, it's very hard to go beyond that. So for example, if you all know that there is this terrible flu uh, coming around, for example, I was uh, in Israel and there was a really, really bad flu. I mean, the flu that's here, it's nothing compared to, I mean, people died there, they had to ship extra um, shots for this new virus they discovered, terrible, terrible, terrible. So a lot of people. So I knew that, okay, it's not necessarily that I'm destined to do that. And I couldn't get sick because from there I went to Paris, from there to Berlin, then to London. If I get sick, I'm like, I'm in trouble. So I knew that I have to be uh, aware. So I have oregano oil and I have uh, grapefruit uh, seed extract and I mix it and I drink it like crazy oh. to the point that all of this burns and all of this burns and everything burns. Oh, yeah. But also these, these, these bugs burned or something and thank God I didn't get anything. Right? Now it's not that in the chart it says if I'll get it or not. But you can be aware of the fact that there is a flu now and therefore take... You can decide, okay, nothing happens, or you can decide to get a shot. That's a decision, you know. Uh, or you can decide to boost your immune system, or you can decide um, to avoid public places, whatever. You still have that awareness, and then you have the choice. But there is a chance that it will catch you anyway. So the practice, I think, for everybody is, is, is awareness. Putting your head in the sand, and whatever you do in life, doesn't work. You know, you have a kid, and the kid has uh, the terrible twos or terrible threes, right? You're aware of it, uh, but you still can work with it. 
So you, I think that for all of us, awareness is the key word. I mean, even the Lord Buddha, who was a very nice tourist, one time said that the source of um, evil is ignorance. They're not evil people. Sure. They're just ignorant people. You know, certain politicians, we call them evil. They might be evil, but really what's happening is that they're not even aware of what they're doing. Right. If they could see in 5, 10, 20 years, or they can really look and read, really, or see the terrible things that their action or lack of action will, uh, how it will unfold, then they're evil if they still do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Have you ever done for fun, like anyone's chart, like in that area, like Trump's chart? No. Or like... People ask me about Trump chart, but I don't do charts to people I don't like. <laughs> um, it's almost like uh, looking at a, uh, like a, you're going to the museum and deciding to stand in front of an ugly painting. Why? why? Like, why am I spending my time here? Yeah, I mean, the curator decided to put it there on the wall. Okay, it's not my fault. <laughs> you know? So I'd rather look at something more beautiful. It's interesting, though. I'd be so curious to know what it says. But so I know he's a Gemini. Are there any Geminis here? And don't be upset. <laughs> but uh, Boris Johnson is a Gemini. Trump is a Gemini. Uh, they're Tweedledee and Tweedledum. You know, like they're the twins now. Um, and it's really interesting because the, the ruler of Gemini is Mercury. And Mercury was the god of? Huh? No, 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 that's Mars. Communication, trade, uh, all of that stuff. But also, he was the god of liars and thieves. Yeah. So the dark side of Gemini is lies and theft. You know, so... I don't have to do his uh, chart to know that if he's a Gemini that is already caught in many lies, that um, it's his motivation. It's his. Talk about then in that regard, how can people who do have their natal chart done or, or follow this stuff use it practically? I mean, we're calling it practical astrology. So what can people do? And also, how do you use it for yourself? Um, First of all, I'm, again, it's some kind of an awareness. I don't go into today, the moon is here, be careful of that and all that stuff. First of all, the moon is really, really important for us. The moon is mother, so it's important for us, even if we had a psychological sec session, they'll ask you, so how was your relationship to your mother? Right? The father is obvious, it's the sun, the mother is the moon. Now, the interesting synchronicity is that the sun and the moon, even though one is really small and one is really big, one is really close and the other one is really far. So their disc actually is the same, which is a really beautiful concept. Yeah. That's why we have full eclipses. We wouldn't have a solar eclipse covering the sun uh, if they were not the same size. So the fact that it's covering itself, it's precisely the same size, which is kind of a crazy synchronicity. Uh, that they're, it's mother and father. They might have different a distance, you know, father is far away, maybe he's in a different country doing some work, mother is closer because we're kind of young, but they have the same, we love them the same way in a sense. Earth loves mommy and daddy the same way. And so there is that synchronicity. So the moon is really, really important for us to work with. So like we said, on the new moon, start something new. As the moon is growing, you see the light, it looks like a D. When it looks like a D, it's growing. You don't even have to go to applications or online. It's growing, then you add things to your life and you're aware whatever it is that you're working on to do more of. Then on the full moon, 
you rest. That will be in two weeks from now. You rest, you make sure that you're not behaving like a werewolf. Why do you think that Dracula and the werewolf is associated with the full moon? You know, the Last Supper uh, was the full moon, of course, because it was a Passover. So everything that has to do with fear or the end of a cycle, it's the end of a cycle, it's the completion of something. So the reason why there is so much stories about werewolves and Dracula, what, what, what's a werewolf? A werewolf is basically a symbol. It's a true story. It happens to everybody on the full moon. We are human. We have learned after thousands and millions, actually, years of evolution to subdue a little bit our uh, animalistic tendencies, our reflexes, our instinct, let's call it not reflexes, and we put reason, and that's why our cortex started growing and taking over uh, other parts of our brain, right? So we work for it a lot. What happens on the full moon? We regress. We go back. We become more animalistic. We become more instinctual. We become more like, we bite, and then we think, what have we done? And because we beat somebody, what is the, what is the mythology of about the werewolf? What happens if you get beaten by a werewolf? You become one, because she just beat me. And I'm really pissed at how she behaved. So now I have to take it on my kid or my neighbor or my employee, and I bite them. And what happened? Now? They got bitten by their boss. They come home, and they bite their wife. And then they bite their kids. And it starts spreading. Why? Because the full moon, it's, it's lunatic. Lunatic coming from the word luna, lunatic. It makes us behave in a much more instinctual way, right? In a much more animalistic way. And that's why you have to... What do you do with a werewolf, by the way? To avoid them... Garlic is more Dracula. Silver bullet, silver chains. What is the metal in alchemy of the moon? Silver. Sun is gold. Moon is silver. So, for example, you're working with uh, energies of femininity, moon. You want to receive more. You wear things that are made from silver. You want to get uh, more solar energy you wear things that are more gold, right? This is old alchemy. That's kind of the elements that is associated with the planets. So what you do is, on the full moon, you rest. Or you see, how did my wish manifest until now? And now you have two weeks, as the moon is waning, and it looks like a sea, to edit, to cut away, to dismiss, to fire, to get divorced. You know what I mean? Anything that you want to break away from, you do when the moon is waning. Anything you want to add to your life, you do when the moon is growing. And also, if you want to be even more precise, there is something called moon void, of course. And the void, of course, basically means, technically, is that the moon is traveling throughout the zodiac. If she is at the end of the sign and she has no aspects, meaning no geometrical relation to any other planet, before she moves sign, she's considered to be void, of course. Sometimes it could be an hour, sometimes it could be a day, sometimes it can be a few minutes. When the moon is void, of course, and you can always Google moon void, of course, dates, uh, August, Los Angeles. You have to put uh, the place where you are because it changes time zones. The moon void, of course, you don't want to start something new. So if you uh, found somebody and you want to start dating them, not in the void, of course. You have a business proposition, you want to get investor, not in the void, of course. Because whatever you do in the void, of course, because the moon is not connected to any other planet, it's as if she's not hearing you. She went to her siesta, she's sleeping, she's not listening. You're praying to somebody, but the goddess is sleeping. So you always look to make sure that you're not starting something during void, of course. But if you want to tell somebody bad news, 
and you don't want to be associated with that, you do it on the void, of course. of course. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, the other thing, we'll talk about it next week, is the Mercury retrogrades that are very important dates to be aware of, and that's a practical thing, because when to buy, when not to buy, when to get married. Anybody's getting married next year? Interesting. That's good. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, not next year, I mean this year. But no, because May 13 to June 25, is Venus retrograde. It's the worst time to get married, and that, that's, and that's June. that's interesting, because that is wedding season. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's June. Some people are so going to be So there is a way to there. overcome that. <laughs> if you have suddenly an invitation for that, I mean, don't, don't talk about it. Don't be like the, the evil witch that comes and tells the bad news. Um, first of all, a lot of time, people that know that their relationship is not going to last for so long, do that. Do you um, mean like subconsciously? Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that there is a, they can exchange the ring if they do it then, but then to try to do it legally before. So you can override that. So again, astrology is all about dates. It's about time. I mean, astrology is the conjunction of space and time. When you go to an astrologer, what will they ask you? When were you born and where you were born? Because these are the two most important coordinates in the here and now, the space-time continuum. When you're born and you lose your connection to that oneness or the immediate connection to the oneness, you do it because you're bound by space and time, two things that do not really exist. It's kind of a decision of all of us to adhere to these laws that do not exist. It's basically, we all, when you came here, decided that we'll talk and you'll shut up. Later on, you could ask questions. These are all stupid rules. Why don't you just talk? Talk. What, am I going to beat you up? You know, why? Talk. Why are you listening to these rules? Because you decided to come here for two hours and listen to that. The same thing you decided to come to be born and not to be able to fly. If you really want, you can fly. I never tried. But you should try. Get up on the roof and jump. You know. Statistically speaking, but you, you have will to fail. Have the faith. You have to have the faith and you have to believe yeah. first. Statistically exactly. speaking, you will fail. But what is statistics? It's another construct, you know. So we all decide to have these weights on us in order to be able to grow. Now, that's a really beautiful concept. We all agree to be less in order to be more. And if you think about it, because we talked about, I talked with my friend in Israel. She's a... Um, she's, uh, she has a PhD in physics, but she's very interested in, in Kabbalah and mythology and all that. So we're talking about how um, we all agree to be less in order to be born. That's the concept in Kabbalah of Tzimtzum. Of, tzimtzum means the constriction of the vessels. Basically, it means that according to Kabbalah, the story of creation, we, God had to restrict God's self in order to have space for us to be created because God is everything. So where is God going to create us? So God had to withdraw, and that's why we are constantly looking and longing for that oneness, because we know that we're part of the one, but where the, where the hell is that oneness, you know? So that's part of that lack of godness, in a sense, that is needed in order for us to grow. The same thing that in the forest, eventually the mother tree, the one that is in charge, will have to slowly die in order for the other new trees to get to the light. So that idea is there in, in, in many, many places. And then I thought about our DNA. What is the difference uh, between the cells in your ear to the cells in your eyes? You have the same DNA in every cell of your body, right? But there are certain elements or certain parts of the DNA that are covered or hidden or closed. 
so that they don't interfere, so they can be ear cell or liver cell, because it's the same cell, it's the same DNA. So the DNA itself decides to cover some part of it, tzimtzum, to constrict itself, in order for you to have an ear so you can hear, and a nose that you can smell, you know what I mean? Because really, you don't really need it. I mean, your DNA should be open and it's all beautiful if it's all open. But no, there is some beauty in some closeness. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, is astrology, and this might be a really dumb question, but is astrology there to then kind of help us remember the connection? Depends on the astrologer. It's ah. like religion. Is religion helping us connect? Depends on the religion. Um, it, I don't think it depends on the religion. It depends on the person that conveys that religion. You know, because there is some um, mystics that will be very clear about how everything is connected and will share it very clearly. And there will be some mystic who say, if you want to really follow it, you have to live whatever you're doing and become part of us. And you know this. So I think that, it, I don't know if the system, I think the system itself, if you really connect to its core, is the understanding that in order for you to survive, astrology can really help you. My theory about astrology is that it's developed by women at first, um, a long, long time ago. I'm talking about millions of years ago when we started walking on two and it became more and more difficult for women to give birth because the head of the baby started growing and the pelvis changes when you start walking on two. And a lot of women died giving birth. So there, should, there must have been a woman, I'm sure it was a woman, who figured out that there is a connection between having sex and getting pregnant because then there is a connection between getting pregnant and dying. So there is a connection between sex and dying. Sex became very dangerous before sexual transmitted diseases because the ultimate sexual transmitted diseases is pregnancy. Yeah. Sorry, but that's kind of like a little animalita growing inside of you and then it turns out to be your son. But it's like um, that's the first time that death and sex were connected, which is, by the way, the realm of Scorpio. Scorpio is the sign of death and it's a sign of sexuality. So that woman probably, or one of her friends, needed to come up with an idea of when is it safe to have sex, safe sex, in order not to get pregnant. Because the caveman wants to have sex, and there was, there's a theory also that in back in those times, there was a little trade of sex for meat. You go and hunt, right? You don't eat everything there with your bodies, bring some home, because women need iron more than men. If anybody should be vegetarian, yeah. it's men. Because women, because of the menstruation, lose a lot of blood, they need iron. So they needed to get iron, they needed to get some meat. So they had to give sex for that, because meat is not free. Oh my God, it's like we're still undoing these constructs. Yeah, we're trying to. Here we are. <laughs> so now it's reversed. The woman is having to bring the food, and the, <laughs> and the guy is lying there on the bed saying, you know, I can have sex if you bring me some money. So. There was supposed to be a woman who realized that there is a way to have safe sex. How? By connecting the cycles of menstruation with the moon. Because the moon was their clock. Because at that time, everybody got the cycle at the same time in the troop or whatever we were called before we were a tribe, according to the cycles of the moon. So she realized that if we wait three nights after the full moon or whatever, it's safe to have sex and therefore we will not die. So that was the first connection between the above and the below. Between our body and our function, the functioning of the body and 
a celestial, a celestial body. So the above and the below were linked, most likely, and then it's my theory, I can't go back and prove it, you know, uh, but it makes sense to me that astrology is way before Babylon, before the signs. It was the connection between the above and the below done through the human body. And that's why we survived, because without that, people will continue doing randomly sex and dying, giving birth. It's so interesting because I feel like we're also in a time of like the reclamation of the goddess, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of that, what people are saying about that is there was so much created and so much ceremony and ritual and honoring of the connection of the above and below through women that they brought that kind of was pushed aside. And I feel like it's lately been really percolating again. Um, you know, a lot of people connecting to like Mother Mary and kind of talking exactly about what you're talking about. I mean, there's people out there preaching like how to honor your moon cycle in a different way. So it's so interesting that you're... Yeah. I mean, it's now being, it's now starting to balance because the beautiful thing about the Z, anybody from the Z generation? Anybody after 95? Wah, wah. <laughs> Nobody? Gotta I'm not going to ask about... got to have alpha. some of you guys know. No, after 95? Um, well, the Z generation and the Alpha generation, which is those that are being born in the last five years or so, there we call them Alpha because the Z is done. You know, we have to go back to Alpha. <laughs> uh, the Z and the Alpha are much more associated with oneness. They're much more accepting of race, of sexual orientation, of uh, gender fluidity. That's why the binary and all of these are coming up with the, G, with the Z generation. They didn't come with the millennials so much. They came with the G gener Z generation because they're much more accepting of oneness. That's why even Mattel are now making Barbies that are very hard to tell if they're boys or girls, you know? It's funny. I wanted to talk to you about this because I know we talked about it a little bit on the first episode too of this idea that as you accept this oneness and we get closer to this oneness, how gender kind of disappears. And I was literally going to ask that question. So are people who are kind of struggling or trans or whatever it is are actually in a weird way kind of ahead of it. They're in the zeitgeist, yeah. They're in the, this is the spirit of the time. Yeah. The zeitgeist is very much, a, it's, like the, it's like the grandfather of synchronicity is the idea of zeitgeist, of that there are certain things that happen. I see it a lot because I do astrology and it relates to time. So I can have a day where one after the other, they all have their moon in Virgo and their rising sign Scorpio. And sometimes it's, it's, it's weird. Why would I have four readings, one after the other, almost the same charts? And then I don't try to already look what it means. I just know, okay, today is a Virgo Scorpio day. That's what attracted them to do their chart. And that's what I have to learn from it. It's not like I have to understand why. I just have to realize that it's like, oh, it's raining today. Okay, I'm going to take an umbrella. Why is it raining? Well, because there's some storms happening in the whatever, and there is a, a polar vortex coming. Okay, 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 that's nice. But what is important to know, it's raining and you should get an umbrella. So the zeitgeist is the spirit of the time. It's certain things that must happen. For example, they talk about it a lot with the theory of evolution. When the theory of evolution came out, you know, there's a lot of people who have this fantasy of building a time machine. I'm talking about some people who believe in uh, intelligent design. That they think that if they can only have a time machine, go back to the 19th century and kill uh, Darwin before he comes up with a theory, then everybody will continue believing that Adam and Eve are really our father and mother, right? But they don't understand is the zeitgeist. Because right at the same time, there were three other people who were about to publish the same thing. So we're now already talking about building 
a few of these time machines going back and forth into di two different, many different places to try to kill all of them. But it's impossible to kill the spirit of the time. The same with the spirit of the time now is, it's interesting actually, the spirit of the time. Because there is a lot of people who are fearful of the Z generation and what they represent. And they start blaming it as if it's Western values and corrupt values and weak values and all that kind of stuff. Like Putin came up with this idea that uh, the Western liberal concepts are obsolete. You know, it's more his wishful thinking than really his observation of the planet. But there, we can see what's happening in Brazil, what's happening in India. India, that was a source of spirituality, is now a source of darkness, with all due respect. Uh, what's happening in Israel, what's happening in um, everywhere. In China, in um, Do you feel Russia. like that because we're on like a precipice, so it's like the dark holding on as much as they can? I think it's fear. I mean, yeah. because there is this idea of oneness threatens people, because people who are um, happy with, no, they're not happy with themselves, but they try to control in order to remain in power. You see it again and again and again, that people, for many people, it's more important to be in power than to use that power to, to help people or to make change. So they're th so threatened by it, you know, that they are becoming extreme to the other side. What is nationalism? Nationalism is basically a collective ego of uh, a country, which is much more dangerous than just my ego. Now we have a whole country, and the country has an ego. We are this, we are that, we're, you know. And if you look at this idea of country, it's, a, it's an imagined construct. It doesn't really exist. What is a country? I mean, you call United Kingdom. United Kingdom is not that united, and slowly there's not going to be anything there left. You know, Scotland is probably going to live, and Ireland is going to unite, and they're going to stay with their Wales and uh, the, the English, and the English are, the Wales are probably going to leave also, because and they're going to suddenly know United Kingdom, not Great Britain, you know? How, because I know you've talked about, on our, that first podcast we did, we talked a lot about the charts of a country, if you know an actual day of, like, either declaration or, you know, start. And I love it. I mean, it was so fascinating to me. It was actually that part. You guys have to go listen to this episode if you haven't heard it because it is mind-blowing the way you talk about Israel and just if they would have changed the date today, like, and the names and everything. But if you're doing a chart of a country, how predictive is it also? Not just like, oh, it's going to be turbulent, but can you say like, like you were just talking about the UK with your own predictions. Is there a chart for the UK that you could be like, yeah, it's in the tough. next 10 years, X, Y, and Z? It's tough. I mean, a state like Israel is easy because they were born on a certain day and there was no state before that, you know? Right. Um, England is hard because when do you start it? 1066, 19, uh, you know, uh, when do you start it? When the queen became, uh, I mean, it's such a long... It's like a nebulous um, start date. Yeah, France the same, Russia the same. Germany the same. I mean, when do you? Bismarck declared Germany united. Yeah, but there was so much stuff before. So there's a lot of countries that it's almost impossible to do a chart for. And even if it is, it's, it's tough. Like in Bulgaria, for example, they always force me to use this chart from Bulgaria from the like, 800s when they had a big empire. I mean, but come on. <laughs> it's like that's the official astrologer society's chart of Bulgaria, and we have to work with it, you know. But... The same thing that you guys, you guys have your own karma, but you have your family karma. That's your DNA and your genetics. I mean, people think that genetics is not spiritual. Spirituality is embedded in the genetics. So your uh, family's karma, or what they call your ancestral karma, is through your DNA. Uh, then you have your um, city's karma. 
I always give that example. I mean, you could be with uh, anybody who's here has another passport or born in a different country. Where? Japan. So she's Japanese, right? And she came here and she's living now in LA. But LA has its own karma. So let's say that uh, North Korea finally managed to get a missile that comes all the way down to uh, LA. She can say to the missile, sorry, I am from Japan. Here is my passport. Do not fall on me because I don't belong to this place now. I, I, re I renounce my... It doesn't work like that. She is now here and now she is under the karma of uh, Los Angeles. Does that make sense? Even though she has her own karma. And she has the Japan karma because she's from Japan. You know, and that could influence her accent, her uh, palate of what she likes to eat and what she likes to read and what kind of music she plays. That's her karma from Japan. But she's in LA. So she's influenced by the karma of Los Angeles and the karma of the United States because North Korea decided to blow up Los Angeles, nothing personal with Hollywood, but because it belongs to the United States and it's the closest place they can hit. Okay? So you have your own karma, you have your family karma, you have your city's karma, you have the building karma. There's a lot of these things that are connected to us. You know? So that all is part of that oneness we talked about before. And there is a karma of being human. I mean, think about the planet. I mean, if the water levels are going to rise, it's because of the karma of humanity. And it's, there's a karma of being uh, uh, on this planet. The bugs and all that are influenced also by our karma. And I'm sure there is a karma for the solar system because in a few billion years it's going to collapse, right? So, not it's to all get happy you, now. I'm just <laughs> no, because we think about, I want to burn my karma. Yeah, you can burn your karma, but what about the other karma we mentioned? But that's actually an interesting point. When does, again, back to the oneness, when does changing one's karma start influencing the collective karma? All the time, because if you work on your karma and you're started doing meditation and you're a much more pleasant person in the morning, then you're affecting your child. And the child is getting very, um, let's say, influenced by that and very inspired by it. And they become later on a teacher of meditation because father changed so much since he started doing meditation. You're starting to, of course, influence other people. You know, if you're eating well, then your friends can't take you already to McDonald's all the time because we used to go to McDonald's all the time. Now we have to go to some healthy place. So they're forced to eat a little bit of healthy food every day. You know what I mean? So maybe they're delaying some inevitable disease that's going to come to them in 30 years. So whatever we do influences. That's part of that oneness. See, so you guys all keep doing your practice because you're going to keep that missile from coming to Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean... I have a question now about like, so there's the astrology, like you said, of your personal astrology, the apology of the, of the countries, and it's like each sign. And, you know, I like how you were talking about how, you know, the Chinese overlaps this and they're all very similar. And you go from sign to sign to sign. Now talk about kind of the ages. So like we're, and you know, talking about now we're in or heading into, there's, everyone says something different, the age of Aquarius, leaving the Piscean age. Um, so can you talk about that too on how astrology, and that's what, like 2,100 years? In age? I mean, it's something much bigger, but it still has a major effect on the energy and how, what we're doing. So A, I'd be curious a little clarity of when it's started starting, because I feel like that's a little all over the place. It and then B, if you can talk about a little bit, because people who aren't aware of that, what the transition from Piscean to Aquarius is. So, I mean, 
mathematically speaking, if you look at the 21st of, uh, or astronomically speaking, when you look at the 21st of March, which is the beginning of Aries, when the Babylonians and Sumerians were developing astrology, the 21st of uh, March was pointed at the beginning of Aries. But because the Earth is tilted 23 degrees, and that's why we have seasons, it also wobbles like that. It's a 23 degrees wobble. It takes about 26,000 years to go around. You divide it by 12, you have about 2,100 years or so for every age. Because that circle that it's, the Earth is wobbling around is also divided into 12, and it's going backward. If you notice, we move from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius. It's supposed to be the other way around, but because of the wobble, it's going backward. So every 2,000 years, más o menos, we have a change of energy, you can say. Uh, because the 21st of March, during the time of uh, Sumeria, when they developed astrology, was the age of Aries. It was 2,000 to about uh, zero. That was Aries. But since then, from 2,000 onward, you know, around the time of Christ, when you looked at the 21st of March at the skies, you would not see the constellation not the sign, constellation Aries, you would already see Pisces. Now, when you look at the 21st of March, you're starting to look at Aquarius, the border between Pisces and Aquarius. So there, it's because it's like a, it's a wheel, and you know, the, the constellations are pretty amorphic. I mean, there's little points that are connected randomly into shapes, right? You can't say, oh, now it's the age of Aquarius. What we do know is that we're shifting. That's why the most famous song from, you remember from Hare, from the 60s, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. It's very not committing, you know. It's the dawning. Let's meet at the dawning of the Den meditation. What does that mean? The door? Uh, the dawning of the door. That's when you can see it from a distance or where is it? You know what I mean? So the idea is that the dawning is like we're stepping closer to. 62 was, anybody's born 62? It was a very auspicious year because we had, in February, seven planets that were in Aquarius. And that was a lot of cluster. It's a stellium in Aquarius. So they, started, they decided that that was the beginning of the age of Aquarius because there were so many planets there. The end of this year, we're going to talk about it next week, is when Jupiter and Saturn are together in Aquarius for the first time in hundreds of years. Saturn and Jupiter come together every 20 years or so. It's called the Grand Conjunction. But for the last hundreds of years, it's been an Earth sign, except 80. 81, 82. But besides that, it was always an earth sign, very material, very grounded. Now it's moving into air signs. And Aquarius is a very, uh, like we talked about, it's the, it's the energy of uh, awareness, uh, uh, democracy, power to the people, humanity. It's a very positive energy overall. And Jupiter and Saturn being together for the first time in Aquarius is another time where people are talking about the gateway, or we're opening into it. And also Aquarius talks about technology, innovation, and we've already entered the age of the computers, and I believe that now, this year especially, maybe because of the G5, we're entering the age of artificial intelligence. And that's gonna lead us for at least 60 years of having to work with artificial intelligence. And if the moment of singularity is coming very soon, which is basically the time where computers are going to process information faster than humans and most likely create themselves computers that are smarter than themselves, the same way that we did. It means that in the next 60 years, we will know what is going to be our relationship with our kids, which are 
the robots or the cyber uh, of the future. Does that make sense? I mean, it's kind of happening right now. My feeling is, and then, you know, don't quote me, but maybe you can quote me in a few hundred years. My feeling is that we're going to start reincarnating into machines. Now, it's not that far-fetched. I actually read an article a few uh, weeks ago. I've been talking about this for 20 years. But only a few weeks ago, they managed to take uh, frogs, cells from frogs, and program them. So they build a computer that is biological. Think about it. A computer that is biological. It's made of molecules and atoms, which is what we are. And we have a soul. Obviously, the soul and us are one. The soul and the body is one. But my feeling is that in order to survive the mess we have created, we probably will start reincarnating into machines and continue our journey on the planet as um, artificial intelligence. My feeling is that it's not going to be a moment when artificial intelligence is going to be created and suddenly there is an artificial machine. I think it will be a slow uh, evolution of machines being able to contain more and more what we call human soul or a bigger piece of souls. And that will be the moment when they gain consciousness. And it will be a moment in our, maybe that's a singular, real spiritual moment of singularity, where it, we're going to experience feelings, which is already starting, to machines, but the machines will be able to give us back those feelings. Because I don't think it's a matter of programming as much of a matter of synchronizing the machine to the oneness, or realizing that machines are part of the oneness. Because if we're going to be afraid of these machines, the machines are going to be afraid of us. If we're going to beat those machines up, which is, by the way, what's already starting to happen. There was the uh, driverless uh, car that was um, uh, beaten by people in Arizona, I think. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, like Heinrich Heine said, with the places where they beat machines, they will beat also humans. Yeah. The places that they burn books will also the place where they will burn people. So, but I thought about how stupid it is to, 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 to go on a war to fight or to, to smash a drivingless car, an artificial intelligence basically, because that's what it is, because it's all documented. It's all documented <laughs> by these uh, cameras that we have everywhere, and where do you think it goes? It goes to the internet, and what is the internet? It's the beginning of artificial intelligence. So you think the machines of the future are going to look back and say, remember that guy who was beating our forefather, our ancestors? when we were kind of stupid and uh, defenseless. Where is he living now? Oh, he's living over there. Is he connected to the internet? Yes. So I'm warning you. Be <laughs> nice to your machines, to your computers, to your cars, as much as you can. You know, not so hysterical about it. But to be connected, to realize that oneness is also in machines. It's not like, oh, machines, that's not part of the one. Yes, it is. God is in the machine. Just as much as in you, because you're a biological machine as well, with all due respect. That's mind-blowing. <laughs> it is uh, really Really, my head is spinning right now. Um, yeah, no, it's intense, absolutely. Is there something in the change of it, in the energy, is there a way before even the machines that we are processing differently? Like you kind of mentioned a little bit more of, of compassion. Like, you know, I've always heard too a little bit that from the Piscean age, which was more head, more logic, it's like now moving more into... Go ahead. No, I'm not sure. I mean, the Pisces is not so much head. The Pisces is more uh, faith. So it, the last 2,000 years was the age of uh, religion. Because I don't think ever in our history so many people died because of religion. 
They died because of war between empires or uh, Genghis Khan or, or the Assyrians conquering a new place and burning it and killing people. But it wasn't about religion. It's not because you believe in a different God. The Romans couldn't care less about what you believe in. The Romans came to, in, to Egypt. They saw that Isis is a nice goddess. They said, welcome. You know what I mean? It's not a problem. Monotheism is problematic because it doesn't allow any other gods inside. But uh, paganism never had too much problems. They assimilate gods. Oh, we have a thousand gods. One more is not a big issue. <laughs> so um, it's different. Animism is completely different. Animism is the real oneness because they say everything, even this mic, has a, spark, a spark of God inside. So a lot of the religion in Africa, a lot of the religion in, uh, of shamanism, of animism, basically means everything has an animated, Alma, it's inside the soul, it's inside of everywhere. That's really true oneness. That's about what inspired also Spinoza with the panentheism, that God is everywhere. It's very Buddhist in a sense. But the idea of, um, a, the whole idea of the concept of connecting to that, um, religion in the last 2,000 years caused us a lot of separation because uh, religion comes from to realign, to reconnect, you know, but it really created a lot of separation because it connected certain groups of people that the only way for them to survive, they thought, is to be different than other people. You know, and that's why you see that even religions themselves start splitting. So there is no more Christianity. There is the Orthodox and the, and the, Catholic, the, the Catholic. And even in the, in the Protestant, there is this kind of that kind. Even in the Shiites and the Sunni and these Jews and those. It's, when you start into getting into separation, it never stops. So Pisces was an age of religion. Because the key word for Pisces in traditionally was I believe. In my book on astrology, I change it to I imagine, because I think that Pisces' real quality is not about religion, it's about imagination. Because with all due respect to religion, it's imaginative, <laughs> to say the least. Aquarius is actually the age of awareness. So it's saying religion is fine, but we need to be aware. So you can be aware of the fact that you are believing in, in this God or that God, and be aware of the fact that for her, um, Shiva is the same thing that you're feeling towards Jesus, you know. Just be aware of it, that it's the same, you know. So uh, we're, at, we're moving into an age which is much more about oneness, more about awareness, more about uh, fraternity, it's assimilation. Um, that's why the global, globalization was a very Aquarian thing to do, you know, making the world a village is very Aquarius. In some ways, the technology too, like social mm -hmm. media, is allowing people from across the world to just know what everyone does. Yeah, that's Aquarius. Aquarius is very much connected to innovation, technology, internet. I mean, the internet is, mythologically speaking, the tree of, the tr the tree of knowledge, good and bad. It's really good, it's really bad. Right. And God said, you know, I don't know if I suggest that you should or if I recommend that you should taste from the tree of knowledge, good and bad, because if you will, you surely will die. And it's kind of happening, you know. But it's not that we shouldn't should do it. I think the internet is great. And I think it's part of the scheme of things. Uh, it's part of this age. It's part of what can bring information to everybody. It's up to you what you use with it. But when you're doing it, just be aware. It's good, it's bad. So... I mean, that's so true. And social media, I find, is fascinating because I feel like in the process of awareness, like you're saying, if that's where we're heading, and there is this exchange and the social aspect of it, which is very Aquarian, 
at the same time, the self-awareness, I feel like, can be easily lacked while you're in it. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's like a huge challenge for a lot of people. You lose yourself in it because you get lost in what it is. Yeah, it's fast and it has no direction. <laughs> so, so you get lost. You do, you get lost. So if so in the Aquarian age, I mean, it's almost like everything you were talking about, the machines, that animism, did I say that right? Um, is almost where the world's like heading. It's like you have to have this love of everything, machine, God, person, table, to kind yeah, of be able to exist in ease. People are hardly having a love to, mach- to animals and to people. Do you know what's going to happen where there's going to be machines that look like people but are not really people? I mean, that's going to be a catastrophe because the same people now that are so against immigration or against other countries or against other religion will be terrified by machines and they will find commonality with all the rest of the fanatical people around the world, especially through internet, and we're going to have a big, big uh, problem between crazy people uh, people who are uh, trying to make peace with the machines and, lo- and love them and live with them and the machines themselves. Now, the people who are afraid from machines are probably going to create machines that are full of fear themselves. You know, that's why I'm a little bit concerned with this race now for artificial intelligence. For example, what they do in China is that they create, uh, and also in the West now that they have this... Um, uh, face recognition, um, uh, artificial intelligence. They're using it for bad things most of the time. You know, it's not for good things. So it's really your intention. You're building a, a, a machine that is capable of containing a soul, maybe, potentially. And if you're programming it to be very negative or protective about itself, of course it's going to be kind of nasty. The same way that a person who is abusing his son, the son is not going to most likely grow up thinking I shouldn't do this. Most likely they're going to grow as a person who is also abusive. That's what intergenerational transfer is. So intergenerational transfer is not only between humans and humans, it's probably going to be between humans to their machines. And a little bit like humans to earth. I feel like that's what we're feeling right now too. But don't forget, I mean, we were abused by the earth. Uh, growing up, you know, there was these crazy earthquakes and there was these floods and there was these situations that we as human have memories of being basically destroyed again and again and again, floods and and rivers and and seas, you know. So that's one of the reasons we became very protective of ourselves and started living together in cities because it's safer or building machines that can take us from one place to the other and industrial revolution and so forth. But it's, it's a certain struggle you're always going to see between mother nature and civilization. There's some kind of a... We're trying to find a balance. I was just about to say that. Is it all just about balance that for some reason we've never been able to strike? It is. It's very difficult to balance oneself. Because in general, everything you've been talking about has been balance. Of course, so Above and below. Um, you know, meditation, for example, is a way to balance the above and the below because you're here and you're sitting, but by sitting and not moving, you move. That's why in Kabbalah, for example, meditation is associated with a travel without movement. Um, For example, the key word for meditation in Kabbalah is the chariot. Anybody studied here the Mahabharata? Bhagavad Gita? Right? Where does Krishna get, uh, where does uh, Arjuna get all his information? 
from Krishna. What is Krishna? Where is he? No, he's in the chariot. He's the, the, the driver of the chariot. He's the charioteer. So the chariot in Kabbalah, the chariot in Hinduism is associated with meditation. What is a chariot? At that time, it's chariot. Now you can call it the spacecraft. It's the ability to travel without movement. Because on a chariot, you travel. But when you meditate, you're sitting. You're not traveling. Right. But if you're doing the meditation well, you're traveling. I know. And maybe eventually getting out of your body and eventually visiting different places beyond space and time. You know? So that's why meditation is associated with that. And it's interesting because the chariot is the sign of, in the tarot card, the chariot is associated with cancer. And one time, I think it was a class in uh, Turkey, or I don't remember where it was, that people were saying, uh, one person was saying, I can never meditate. And then I don't know how it came to me, maybe because of this association to cancer, and cancer is the womb, cancer is birthing. And I said, yes, you did. You meditated for nine months. You, what do you think you do as a fetus inside the... <laughs> no, you are aware. Your cells growing. Your cells growing one after the other, but eventually you have a brain. What do you think? The brain doesn't think? What, it's like a car that comes out of the factory and it never drove? Even the cars in the factory are tested and they drive. You know what I mean? So when you're in your mother's womb as a fetus, you think you don't think? Of course you do. You might not remember your thoughts because you never had words to put your thoughts into some kind of a context. But you were thinking. There were electrical currencies and chemistry moving in your head. So you were, at least in the last month, I don't know, two months, three months, when you had a fully developed brain or mostly developed brain, um, you were meditating because you were traveling, mommy is moving, without movement, you are not moving. Does that make sense? That is meditation. And then I thought maybe the symbolism of meditation even comes from there. That's so amazing, and it's true. And then it kind of goes back to the question I was asking you before, how a practice connected to astrology can take it all even deeper then. We'll do, if we have time, I don't know what's the situation with time, uh, maybe we'll do a, a sample of meditation that I started doing more and more in classes when I travel, uh, really, which really works because it's going to help you tap to your own signs. Because everyone in this room, you know, you're a what sign? And you are... But you have all the signs inside your chart. They might be ruling your house of money. They might be ruling your house of health. <laughs> so every house, where 12 houses, have a ruler, and the ruler is one of the signs. You are a Libra. Libra. And the Libra is because her son is in Libra, but it's located someplace in her chart. But she has the moon, she has a Venus, she has a Mercury, she has a Saturn. So you have all the signs inside of you. So this meditation helps you to connect the uh, signs to your physicality, to your physical body. Mm. We'll do it after if we have time. Yeah, we'll do that after the q and I love that. So, and I think that's an interesting point too because how do you feel about like in the back of the magazines where those horoscopes with one line for each sign knowing that so much is influenced by where all of your signs are with every planet? You know, it started pretty late. I think it's like a hundred years. It became very popular in the 60s, by the way, the columns. Before that, people were not doing it. So it's a relatively new thing. I don't read them and I don't write them. <laughs> okay, I know we're doing this workshop February 1st, so you guys all have to do it, which will give us the nitty-gritty on 2020. But is there anything you can titillate us with right now or something that we all need to know about what's happening in 2020? Um, we talk, I mean, the biggest, the biggest thing is that um, it's a year that has a lot of fear because in numerology, which is really influential because numbers tell us stories, basically, 
Uh, this year is four. And four, especially in China, is what? Death. death. So it's a year associated with death. You know, and there is, uh, a, even in the West, what is the number we're most, most afraid of? So much that buildings avoid having that floor? Thirteen. Yeah. What is thirteen in neurology? Four. Four. So we're back to square four. You know, we're back to that concept that four. And also in languages. I mean, if I fight with somebody, I, we square it off, right? In Hebrew, you say, uh, like if you say if somebody is like a, a very rigid, we call him a square, you know? So even Israel, the word Israel has inside of it yashar. Yashar means in Hebrew, um, a straight angle, square, and it means conflict. It means war. So in many languages, the square is associated with the inability to move, war, death, destruction. But 22 is a master number. And in neurology, when you get to 22, you're not supposed to reduce it to 4. Oh. You're supposed to keep it 22. And 22 is a master number, and it's called the master builder. It could be coming from the idea that is very much in the tarot of the 22 major arcana, the journey of the fool, but it might be related also to the 22 Hebrew letters, which according to Kabbalah, created the universe. So God used the 22 archetypes, the same way that the DNA is made from four letters. The universe is made of 22 letters. Those are the Hebrew letters that are based on the Phoenician letters, um, and they are the building blocks of the universe according to Kabbalah. So the 22, the idea is that it is about building, but before you build something, something else needs to be destroyed. You know, so you see it a lot of time. There's buildings where, you know, if you had to renovate your home or if your home needs uh, some change, you have to destroy your wall or break something or move something. So there is a lot of death this year, but there's a lot of uh, building. It's a year that has a lot of fear, but it also has a lot of spirituality and openness. So... It's an interesting combination. Now, what I read to this year about the rat, the metal rat that makes it special, is that it's a, it's a, of all the rats uh, and of all the rest of the zodiac animals, it's the one that can transform bad situation into good. Mm. They call it the unlucky to lucky. So there is kind of like we all have this converter, you know, like HDMI to USB, whatever, that converts negative things to positive, which I call, you know, a blessing in disguise. So certain things are going to happen that are not according to your plan and not what you what wanted, which actually might turn out to be really good. So it'll feel a lot... So a lot of people might be experiencing kind of a dismantling mm -hmm. that they may not be aware of, but you're saying because of all this other stuff, just trust it and know that it's building you to yeah. where you're supposed to be going. Reconstructing. Now, how does it tie into... Because I know you said for 2019, and I have it just written here, that it was the birth of the true self. Mm -hmm. So how does like one, is every year kind of a different identity entirely yeah. or does one flow into the no, other? No, they all flow because it's basically the story of the, of numerology. One will be the story of what? The self, oneness, unity, new beginning, that's number one. Two is the one reflecting on oneself. Or if you want to be less philosophical, it's the one meeting another one, another two. So it's relationship, it's a couple, but it's also doubt because maybe there is a handsome one somewhere else that is not this one. Why did I settle on this one? The first one I saw, maybe there's another one, you know? So that's number two. So it's relationship, but relationship always bring doubt. If you're 
doubting your partner everyone if you're doubting it all the time it's the wrong partner but if you're doubting every once in a while it's totally normal don't take it personally <laughs> it's part of the energy of two three is if the one and the two unite and create a new situation it's it's not even the one looking at oneself it's the one looking at oneself and realizing something hmm. downloading something okay if you want to talk about traditional thing it's the man, boy, meets girl, get her pregnant. So what will be the three? It will be the child. Or two people meeting and having this inspiration and creating a business. What will be the business? Number three. So the idea of creativity is three. The one and the two meet. Two gets pregnant. Usually gets the three. The three is the child. Four is the home and the family. So it's the square that keeps the three inside. So before that, it was the one. He was in his own. Then she met the two, and the two became a couple. And they lived like this for a while, and they're having a lot of fun. Then she got pregnant. Yeah. Okay, uh, we'll have the baby. Now it's a different situation, because the three itself is the child, but now the four is the family. So now there's a completely different dynamic. That's why she doesn't want to have sex so much. Uh, he feels like he's jealous about the little boy because the boy is getting more attention from him. There's already a new dyna dynamic. It's the number four. I told you. It's a trouble. It's a problem. Family feud. Number five is the fence that they create around the home to protect it. You know, five could be the soldier that's standing around, or it could be the gate. It could be also the dog that is in the, in the backyard or in the front yard trying to protect the four. The six is the sacrifice of the five for the four. That's why it's associated with Christ consciousness. That's why it's associated with the heart. The heart is always the one that gets sacrificed, you know, especially if the relationship is not working very well. That's the open heart surgery we all have sometimes. So the six is the, it's an energy of love, but it's the energy of the sacrifice, usually the sacrifice of the five, the one that protects the family. Number seven is the union with the above, because seven is the lucky seven, seven chakras, seven uh, rounds around the um, Kaaba or around uh, uh, Jericho. You know, seven is associated with, that's why in the weddings in Judaism, they go around seven times. Seven is associated with spirituality. Eight is infinity, but it's also associated with business commerce, communication, and magic. And nine is death, intimacy, sexuality. Remember, sex and death is associated because after nine is ten, and what is ten? Back to one. So four is death, but also you're talking about four is family. Yeah. So it could be a year for creating family, for a family dynamics, understanding the family dynamics much more. The next year is a year that could be associated with war. Because Oof. five is unstable, is a, and it's not very stable, because it's right in between the one and the nine. It doesn't know if it should go to the one or it should go to the nine. It's kind of stuck. It's a That's middle really child. That's really interesting, actually. That says child. a lot. Um, when you got your chart first read, and I'm assuming it was in Mexico, mm -hmm. like when you went, I mean, again, listen to that first episode, you hear his whole journey. And Mexico was a pivotal point for you. What, when you got your chart read, what stood out for you the first time about your chart for you? Whether it be something that surprised you, whether it be something that was right on the nose for you. It's interesting. I don't remember anything except the fact <laughs> that it was better than, a, than psychology for me. 
I was so interested, I was so fascinated by this um, dissonance of she's telling me things that psychologists could not and she not really knowing astrology very well. Because she kept looking at the books for everything. So she was learning. Yeah. And I would say, obviously it's not her. Because it's interesting, if the universe would have brought me to a really good astrologer, and she would have told me amazing thing that I would remember until this day. You wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't do astrology because I would just say she's really amazing. And if she would have done acupuncture, she would be amazing. And if she would have done tarot, it would be amazing. So it's not the system, it's the person. But the universe, the oneness, God, whatever, I, whatever, confronted the situation where the system was more powerful than the person practicing the system. And it allowed you to feel like you could enter the system. I, yeah, it allowed me to wish for connection to that system instead of to that person. Do you feel like in, the, in this market, again, with Instagram and social media like we were talking about, there is an over, maybe it's not an oversaturation, I'll say saturation of this field, whether it be like everywhere you look, someone's telling you what this new moon means or I can read your chart. Is there a negative to that? Is there an element of knowledge or understanding the language of astrology that maybe that needs to happen before people are actually giving this information or no are you understanding my question i feel like i'm not communicating it well no if there is any kind of like you know you go to a doctor because you assume he studied seven years in medicine and then had a stage uh, or someplace and then he did his residency and blah blah so you kind of um but or a yoga teacher you expect them to do their teacher training and their hours of in astrology, there are accreditation. There's some places that they send you to three, four years of uh, doing it. But I think it's, um, it's more open because I told you, I think it's more like dancing, for example. You know, there is no like, okay, if you did 10 years dancing or if you did this amount of, uh, you went to school, to this, so you're an amazing dancer. It doesn't work like that. It has to come from inside. Of course, there is skills that you have to have. But ultimately, like anything, actually, it's a balance between your intuition and your skills. I think everything that we do, even if it's parenting, even if it's physical activity, you need to know you're going to, I don't know, you're going to the gym. You need to know what to do. But you also have to intuition to know that today you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't put that weight. So anything you do, whether it's spiritual or not spiritual, because really people think that there is such a thing called spiritual and not spiritual, but it doesn't make sense. It's all spiritual. Everything is spiritual because yeah. everything, what is spirituality? The idea to connect to oneness. So everything is. So I think that with like everything, including astrology, you have to have a certain knowledge, but you also have to have a lot of intuition. And you can't always teach intuition. <laughs> You got to grow it no, for yourself. You, yeah, but you can practice intuition. Absolutely. But it's not like you can't just sit here and lecture me on how to be more intuitive. No, but we can lecture you about what is preventing you from connecting to your intuition. What do you feel like is the main thing that prevents people from connecting Fear. to their intuition? Fear. Fear is the mind bender, mind killer. You remember from Dune? Oh, nobody remember Dunes. Anybody <laughs> saw the movie Dune? Or yeah. read the book? Yeah. The movie is... Uh, but the book is... Wow. We used to have that book here. Someone took it. Dune? Yeah. How do you say it in English? Dune. 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 <laughs> Dune. Dune sounds better to me. But you were talking about the fear. Yeah, because fear, there there is this, I put it actually in the new book because it's such a beautiful mantra. It's the Mentan, it's the Bnei Gesheret, uh, that's the witch clan. But it's funny because it's all Arabic and Hebrew. Bnei Gesheret is uh, the daughter of the bridge. 
Neg Gesha. So um, they have this mantra that they keep telling themselves whenever they get into fear, fear is the mind killer. That you have to walk through the fear but get on the other side of it because it doesn't really exist. So um, fear is, is the, the one that destroys everything. It destroys you as a parent, as a, as a partner. It destroys you as a yoga teacher, as a yoga practitioner. It destroys your meditation. The Buddha had to go through the temptation of fear. That was the middle temptation, the second temptation. How do you teach people to release fear? I think you need to reincarnate again and again and <laughs> again. I, fear is a tough one. Yeah. I mean, even the surfers, again, that really defy fear because they go and the best of them go and climb mountains of water that are 10 meters, I mean, 30 feet or whatever, you know, and their mantra is no fear. But how are they learning it? By taking their board and going into the sea. There's no way to teach fear except, even when I studied psychology, um, you have a fear against, uh, from, from snakes, you're going to eventually in your treatment have to get to the point where you're holding a snake. I know. There is That's no mine, by the other way. way. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately. I'm There's like, I'm going to have to hold no a fucking other snake. Way. <laughs> to, we can't talk about it. We can't analyze it. It's called <laughs> desynthesization. And the desynthesization process is at first you're going to sit and talk about snakes. Oof. Then you're going to close your eyes and imagine a snake. This is torture. Then you're going to close your eyes and imagine yourself <laughs> sleeping with a snake and he's crawling on your little feet and he's coming up to kiss you in the middle of the night with this little tiny... I've tried to do and that. Then you're going to have to hold a snake in real life. And then you're cured. Yay! <laughs> it's funny, I've literally been thinking about this a lot in like the last week or so of... And try, in my meditations, actually trying to like really confront snakes. And that's why the Lord Buddha, uh, when he was meditating under the tree, he wasn't a Buddha yet, he was Siddhartha. Um, there, it started to rain. Of course, it's a jungle. It starts raining. And then the, the king of the cobras came behind and uh, created this uh, little canopy. Yeah. So that's why you see a lot of time that vision of, um, of Buddha and behind him there is like this cobra, this protection. And it's basically the symbol of overcoming fear. And for me, the fact that it's raining, it's water, it's emotion, it's compassion. The only way to deal with fear, by the way, because in astrology, that's why I told you it's a philosophy. Fear is associated with Capricorn. Anybody's a Capricorn here? Lots of Capricorns, right? Why is fear associated with Capricorn? I talked about it many times. Maybe I repeat myself in this class also here in, in the den. Capricorn was created during, I mean, we just left Capricorn. So uh, from the 21st of December all the way up until the 20th or so of um, uh, January. It's the coldest time of the year. And it's a time where in the Northern Hemisphere, it's winter. And, you know, like in the Game of Thrones, winter is coming. So every Capricorn, winter is coming, <laughs> which is terrible news for people. Because if you didn't collect enough food in, and you don't have them stored well, then your family is going to die. A lot of people used to die in winter from diseases, from winter blues, or from lack of food. So that's why Capricorn is associated with fear and the fear of survival. And we talked about it. That's, uh, I need to survive. I need to make it through the winter. What is the opposite of fear? You said, how do you overcome fear? Okay, look at the zodiac. What is the opposite sign of Capricorn? Cancer. Cancer. So the answer is in cancer. We talked already the chariot, the symbol in tarot of Cancer is meditation. Meditation can help you overcome fear. What is the other thing that cancer rules? Compassion. 
Compassion helps you overcome fear. Because if you're truly compassionate, you cannot be afraid. That's why they could lock in China Tibetans monk for 33 years and they kept their practice, they kept them sanity, they, couldn't, they didn't break because they were resistant to fear. So the opposite to fear or what heals fear is unconditional love, compassion. I love that. I'm going to end with that. I want to do your four yous and I'm going to open it up to all you guys. What's a surprising hobby of yours? I don't know. It's not so surprising to me. I mean, <laughs> I've been it with it. Uh, um, I have a, a jiu-jitsu I do as a hobby. Um, I absolutely love plants, but I love growing plants by letting them grow. So if anybody comes to a reading, some people came here to a reading at my place. Yeah, It's the so best. You have this jungle there because um, I like to let them grow. So... I don't know if I can say I like gardening because I think about gardening as like you put the things in the ground. Yeah, of course I put them in the ground, but then it's about letting them grow. I think it's beautiful. And by the way, your place is stunning because it Thank does. You. It feels like a whole But it's garden. their job. Yeah, I don't It's do their much. job. Do you, well, we'll get into that later. Um, what do you do first thing in the morning? Uh, I do meditate. Very short because I'm impatient. But yeah, <laughs> I meditate. Um, what would you do tomorrow if you had absolutely nothing to do and nothing to even think about. Meaning like there wasn't even that paper you had to write that was hanging over you, you had no friends to meet. If you could do anything and you had total freedom. I would probably read, I really like reading. If I don't allow to read, uh, probably go on a run. If I'm not allowed to run, <laughs> probably go crazy. Well you have freedom so you can do all those things. Do you have a regular practice? It sounds like you just answered that. Yeah, the meditation, the coffee for sure. It has to be really good coffee. I'm very snobbish about coffee. I'd rather <laughs> not drink coffee if it's not really good coffee. But I'm very fortunate to live next to a very good coffee place. And wherever I go in the world, I research to see where is the best espresso bar. <laughs> it doesn't even coffee shop. Um, these are the anchors. I think the meditation is an anchor. Physical activity is super important for me. I can't, I can't not do it. Um, especially some form of cardio. So I would give up anything, but I wouldn't give up the need to sweat. I think sweating is the most important thing. There was even an article that came out recently that, for, I know that I'm saying that I have problems with depression, but I think we all do every once in a while. But mild depressions, not that they're like on the head, it's like I'm talking about mild. The number one helper is cardio. The medicines do not work. They give you that stuff and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's all propaganda of uh, the pharmaceutical. I mean, if you're having a deep, deep depression, meaning that you cannot get out of bed for a few days, that's what I'm talking about, major depression, medication might help you. Again, I'm not sure. But for any kind of sadness that you're going through, the number one healer, apparently, is cardio. Any form that can make you more than 20 minutes to sweat, to get your heartbeat, it activates the lymphatic system, the immune system, it pumps everything out. The, the sweat is detoxing. So that's something I also have to do. You were amazing. Thank you oh, so thank much. You. I always love sitting down and talking to you because it gets me thinking, and I know I'm going to go home and have 50 more questions for you, so we'll have to have you back on again because um, you are one of my favorite guests. Um, thank you guys all. We're going to turn it over to you. We're going to do Q&A, then he'll do his meditation, and we'll go out there. Don't forget he's selling his books. I also wanted to let you know, 
Don't forget to sign up for his workshop February 1st. Also February 29th, which is, what do you say, leap year day? I mean, it's weird because it's leap year this year, but it's the day that we never get, um, is our next Den Talks Live where we're going to be talking about soulmates, and it's a panel. Um, so check that out, and please come because that's going to be amazing as well. But thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of our 100th episode. Thank you for always being part of the Den. And I want to thank Nicole, who's the backbone of this whole thing, and Andy, who does our sound, and Reem, and Hayden, who does our editing, because it, you don't get to 100 episodes without a lot of people doing a lot of things. So thank you all. Um, and now I'm going to turn it over to you guys. Who has a question? Right here. Let me... um, you want to take this, and I can use this? Or you can use this? Hi, thank you. Uh, my name is Victor. I just had a question for you. Um, if are you familiar with uh, Santos Bonacci and astrotheology? No. <laughs> okay. I mean, I didn't really want to get into it, you know, very much. But I, I guess uh, so. It's 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 the theory that uh, astrology corresponds to what you what's going on with your with your body biologically. So. Um, that's, that's pretty much what it is in Actually, a Actually, it's a kind of interesting synchronicity because the uh, meditation we're going to do is very much about that. What the meditation, what we're going to do is, you'll see, is um, try to connect you to your body through the signs. Because every part of the body is associated with a different sign. Uh, Hippocrates, the, you know, the father of um, medicine, was actually um, an astrologer. Galen was another one who was also an astrologer. So in the past, um, astrology or medicine astrology or medical astrology was very, very popular. So when we do this meditation, for example, and you have a, an issue with your knees, we'll get to the sign that rules the knees and you know that there may be something you have to work with that sign. Does that make sense? We'll just, um, or I get a lot of injuries in my uh, arms, you'll know that it has to do with the sign that rules arms and so forth. Thank you. Anyone else? Pass it back. I, I actually am very vocal, so. Uh, <laughs> I know, but it's also for the recording, which would be helpful. So they, no, 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 of course. Thank the you. The easy question what's your favorite coffee? <laughs> um, it really depends if there's a good barista or not. If it's a good barista, then uh, definitely cappuccino with oat milk is my favorite. The problem is that they burn a lot of time the oat uh, because they treat it like milk, which is not. Uh, if they're not very good baristas, the white um, flat. Flat white. Flat white, you see? So the real question is, I feel like I'm very affected by Mercury in retrograde, and sometimes I don't, uh, you know, I don't look it up ahead of time, but I'm having issue after issue after issue. My contacts are gone. I can't work on my computer. I've lost my keys. My phone's dropped in the toilet. It's just one thing after the other, and I'll look it up, and sure enough, Mercury But that's the whole thing. You need to get into preventive medicine. And preventive medicine means that before you start the year, you look at when are there going to be mercury retrograde, you put it in your calendar, you know not to set a lot of appointments at that time, you know that you should go on a vacation at that time, you know, because even though mercury retrograde 
is not very good for uh, you know businesses and stuff like that. It's really good for meditation. It's really good for synchronicities. It's really good for finding lost things, even if you lose more things at that time. It's really good for reflection, for editing. So if you plan it, that if you need to, what, what do you do in life? Uh, right now, I'm looking for my next career. So I'm, I'm in a fear-based mode right now, <laughs> trying to find a job. Yeah, because you're trying to survive, of <laughs> yeah. course. Um, but let's say you But I work in entertainment. Entertainment. Yeah. So whatever you need in entertainment to reconnect to old projects or old contacts or to re-ed or to edit something or to reevaluate, you do it during the Mercury retrograde. You know, so you basically plan your year so that in Mercury retrograde you can get the benefits of Mercury retrograde, which is about reflection, anything to do with RE before. So reflection, reorganize, redo, uh, revisit old projects or old people you haven't seen for a long time. If you're trying to do new things, it will backfire. Okay, thank you. Again, it's awareness. Yeah, on the back, great, thank you. My uh, sun, moon, and rising sign are all Libra, and I was hoping you could explain what that means to me. It just means that who you are, your path, and your instinctual uh, behavior, or how you connect to things instinctually, are all the same sign, which is in one sense it's good. You're going to a place, and you're walking on the road that leads to that place the best way. And you're already walking on the road and talking the language of the city that you're going to go to. You know? So it makes sense. You can, st you can even read the sign. It says, you know, Los Angeles, 50 miles. And you can read it and tell people, ah, I know where we're going. The problem is that it's too much in one sign. So it's like, you're too much an American. You're in a small town in the middle of the south, and there's only Americans there. They're all from... You know, whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, and you might feel like this village is too small for me. So you might feel like the world is not only about being a Libra and Libra rising and moon in Libra and this in Libra, and most likely your Mercury is in Libra also because Mercury doesn't go that far away from the sun and blah, blah, blah. The next thing you know, all your planets are in Libra. <laughs> Again, it's in, the problem is in balance. Even though on the paper it looks great, all your signs are leading to the same place. But there's a reason probably that your soul decided that in this lifetime, I need to learn peace. Maybe you suffered from many lifetimes where you were constantly in Aries mode, which is the opposite sign, which is war and destruction. So maybe you want to work on relationships and you want to work on peace. Because if you're born a certain sign and you have a lot of the planets there, it's not that you're that sign and you're channeling it very well. It's because your soul decided that this sign is completely different than what I've ever been before. And you decided to assume it in such a strong way because you need to learn that. It's almost like deciding, I need to learn Spanish, and I'm not just having it as a hobby, I'm gonna go to a Spanish place, and I'm gonna live there, and I'm gonna study that all day long. So you're not really being a Spanish person, you're trying to learn to speak Spanish, and you're not doing anything besides learning to be Spanish, not even working on your career. So the same thing with your Libra. You're really trying this lifetime to learn to have a relationship, to be peaceful, to be diplomatic, because in past lifetime, your mouth was like diarrhea, you know what I mean? And it's like, whoa, what did I just say? And I got into trouble and everybody's fighting with me. And so you learn to be more diplomatic, to wear masks. Thank you. Let's pass it right to the person right in front of you and then we'll go to you. 
Hi, uh, I'm launching a business in the next few months. How much attention should I put on like the birthday of the business? And it's uh, very important. I mean, the whole thing about astrology, it's based on the law of beginning. How the way you start something, that's why I ask you when were you born. Not when your mother thought about giving birth to you or even when your mother and your father had sex. But more like when were you born. It's like the law of beginning. The way we start something is how it's going to unfold. That's why it's so important when your first five minutes in your first date with the person that you're going to end up being with, it's important to go back and see what was going on there. So, you know, February, until February 16, you're 15, you're fine. But before, uh, after that, it's not the best time to start. So February 15 to March uh, 10 is Mercury retrograde. So it's better to start before. And how do you determine, like, what the birthday, like, is it, like, when you do an LLC? Is it, like, when do you That depends on you and your business. Okay. For some business, it's, uh, it could be the moment you, you're a scriptwriter, uh, the moment that you actually saved your document for the first time. Mm -hmm. Or when you wrote the first sentence, even though you're going to erase it and replace it with something else in draft number five. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It um, depends on the business. And what is the most, the feeling for you that you can say, today I did it, I, I started my business, okay? For some people it might mean that they started working on their business plan or for some people it's the opening of the store. Thank you. I have a question based on what you were saying. It's like the day you were born. With all fertility stuff that's happening now and you can literally almost to the second pinpoint conception does that change it at all for someone's I think chart? It's, it's the chart of the pregnancy. Interesting. And of course, it's going to influence the birth, but not necessarily. Okay. So, yeah, perfect. Um, so, I think I did it correctly, but I think I have six, seven planets in the sixth house. So, I wanted to know um, I'm kind of in a transition period also, going from one career to another, and I still haven't. I wanted to do something creative. I had a huge um, life change and I've, I've let go of 20 years of doing one industry and want to get into something creative. So I guess how can I use that knowing? That first of all, you need to know a little bit more about what sign is it and all that. But the sixth house is the house of work. It's not the house of career. And that's how beautiful astrology is. It recognized very early on that there is one thing called career and another thing called work. And here in LA, everybody understands it. Uh, I can ask a lady, what do you do? I'm a waitress. What is your career? I'm an actress. What do you do? I uh, work as a cashier. What is your career? I'm a writer. You know what I mean? So there's a different thing. And also there's the house of money. Not always you make money from what you work and what you want to do really, which is your career. The sixth house is the house of service because work and service are associated. So whatever your career is going to be next, that's fine. But you, not, you want to honor all that six-house activity, which means that you need it to be of service. It needs to be um, routine. It needs to have some form of purification, meaning that it has to be, you know, you can't tell me I'm going to work for Coca-Cola and promoting uh, uh, marketing Coca-Cola to kids when you don't allow kids, your kids, to drink Coca-Cola. Does that make sense? There has to be a certain element of authenticity to it. So you're going to go hunt for a career change that allows you to still be the lady of service, to be the Mary Poppins, to be the uh, Mother Teresa, whatever the career is, you know. 
I can see how, <clears throat> as you said, that I'm looking at all the different things that I actually do, and I noticed there's a lot of it in service in different areas. Yeah. So maybe so that's, that's why there's so many planets. You can say, planets. I want to serve creative people, or I want to be creative in my service, or I want my serves, service to entertain people, as long as the word service is there. Thank you. Um, how did you learn, uh, how did you study astrology? Um, what's your favorite book that you read that you would recommend to start learning about it? Um, if you go to the front and uh, look at the back of my book, there is a list of books and you can just take a picture of it on your phone and then start going through them, maybe go online to check which book works for you better because the thing about the way I study is that I don't study necessarily now I'm reading a book in, of astrology in Spanish because I'm supposed to go teach in Mexico in three weeks and my Spanish has become really bad. So sometimes I read books because of the language, you know. Um, but Stefan Arroyo, who was a psychologist who turned into an astrologer, is really good and he has a lot of books on karma. And uh, But I wouldn't say that there is any favorite book because sometimes I can read a book of, uh, um, you know, it could be... Even, I don't know, did you ever read the book, His Dark Material? The, the TV show is based on it now. Uh, Philip Pullman is a, a really interesting guy. I mean, you can read a young adult book and find astrology there, even though the signs are not mentioned. So astrology is so engulfing everything that for me, sometimes reading the news is teaching me about astrology. Does that make sense? So when I read that Pansky had this, uh, somebody bought in Venus retrograde a picture in Central Park and for some guy who was sitting there and selling pictures for $30, which turned out to be Bansky, you know, I was like, okay, I learned something about astrology. During Venus retrograde, it's good to buy secondhand art because you might find something that's ridiculously, you know, $20 he paid for it, it's worth millions. And at the same time, the time that there was, um, a, either it was Mercury retrograde or Venus, I think it was Venus retrograde, when somebody bought for millions a picture of um, a Bansky, remember, and it was shredded right after he bought it. Venus retrograde. So sometimes you learn about astrology knowing that there is something happening there. I wonder how it's going to be here. Does that make sense? Uh, just curious um, what your signs are, your sun, moon, and rising. Uh, I'm in Aries with Pisces and uh, rising and moon in Scorpio. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you, guys. All right. So my question is, um, you talked about uh, how astrology has served our community um, and how, like, the, the moon is affecting our you know, when we want to have sex and stuff like that. But I want to ask you, how has astrology um, affected your, your life and your community? I think that I use it in a very... I have to say that I think I use it in a balanced way, meaning that I know certain things and I can avoid certain moments. Or sometimes it helps to look back like what you did with a Mercury retrograde look down and say, okay, certain things are happening. What is happening in my chart? Um, it helped me w to realize when, I, when to start things. It helps me a lot. You know, that's something I use it a lot. 
And also because Saturn goes every two and a half years in a different house, it tells me where I focus in the next two years or three years. It kind of helps me to focus things. Okay, because I'm a Scorpio rising, so how would I use that for my advantage? It's, it's not about using it. It's about learning more about who you are. Oh, okay. And, you know, the rising sign is your path in this lifetime. It, so it doesn't matter whatever your sign is, you know, your rising sign is the path that you're walking on. So, you know, it doesn't matter what car you have, but if it's a dirt road and you have this Porsche, which you paid like $200,000 for, it's not going to go so well, you know what I mean? So, really the path is, the, the rising sign is your path, and Scorpio rising just means that you have to be very deep, very intense, that people sometimes can't handle you completely, you know, that you have to add water in order for them to kind of like be able to relate that sexuality and passion are very important. You can't do things unless it comes from here, you know? And I'm not talking about having to sex, have sex with everything, but it's about, in a symbolic way, having passion towards what you're doing. Otherwise, you're not walking your path. Great, yeah. I've been trying to fi uh, fixate on more of that and try to be more creative, and thank mm -hmm. you for this. Okay, let's, we'll go right back there and then just one more question after this. So I was wondering, um, have you ever studied any Vedic astrology? If you ever implement any of that stuff? Or, and do you sort of use whole sign or like of those different methods? Is there one that you particularly use or do you kind of sometimes sprinkle different sort no, of techniques in? No, I mean, in? when I just, was I was in Mexico, um, the guys that were teaching there asked me, what would you prefer, Vedic astrology or uh, Western astrology? And I thought about it a lot, and then I said, you know, I was born in the West. Um, I born in, in the cradle of the West, you can say, you know, the Levant, the Mesopotamia and all that. I think if my soul wanted me to learn Vedic astrology, I would probably be born in India or have more affinity to India. You know, it's, I love the Lord Buddha, and I love a lot of things from India. I mean, Kundalini Yoga was the first yoga I learned, and it moved to other kind of yogas. Uh, I love the, the, the Vedic um, uh, understanding of the world, but I didn't feel connected to astrology there. And the reason why is because I don't think I agree so much with the philosophy in India, especially in the last few hundred years, uh, or let's say, in this case, it's thousands of years with the caste system. Because the caste system over there is very much about fatalistic energy or fate being very, very strong. You're born and untouchable. You can't even marry into Brahmin, you know what I mean? Or you can't really be really good as an untouchable and maybe move to the other caste. There is no mobility whatsoever. That's who you are, that's what that. And that also influences their way of reading charts. That's what it's gonna happen and that's it, don't argue. It's very much the guru mentality, surrender. I'm not a very surrendering kind of a person, so I realized pretty soon that my affiliation is more with the sun than with the lunar uh, thing. And maybe because also in the West, and I, I mean, being in Mexico, they also was doing Western astrology and I connected much more. And I do believe that we are creatures of the sun. More than, I mean, even we're stardust. We really are creatures of the sun. Amazing, let's go right in front here. And then we'll, go ahead. So, how do you navigate through life with like a double rising sign or what does that mean? The same thing we talked about before with a lady that is a triple Libra. It just means that you have to always look at the opposite sign to balance you. 
Because if you have too much in one sign, stop looking at what that sign means, go online and check the opposite sign of, what is your sign? Libra. Libra. We have all the unbalanced Libras here. Yeah. Isn't Libra uh, balance? Huh? It isn't Libra balance. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, my rising sign isn't Libra though. So when you're double Libra, triple Libra, whatever, you look for Aries. So it's how can I be a little bit more Aries to contain the Libra? Because think about it as containment, as a vessel and the, and the water. So it's like um, this is your Libra. You need to put some Aries inside. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you, guys. We'll do uh, like a five-minute. Can we do it in five minutes? We'll do a five-minute. I'll talk fast. <laughs> we'll do a five-minute activation. I'm very excited for this. And then so, we'll, we'll be outside where we can mingle. So close your eyes and try to make sure that your spine is as straight as possible and that you're grounded and you breathe deep from your nose, slowing your breath, slowing your thoughts, slowing your heartbeat. And just really connect to your breath you breathe deeper and deeper, allowing yourself to be in this place of absolute peace and tranquility. And I want you now to imagine yourself connecting to your feet, these feet that ground you, these feet that you, out of respect, took your shoes off as you walked into this sacred place. This is your Pisces. And I want you to imagine your feet getting this beautiful crimson, red-purple kind of color, as if you're wearing these magical spiritual socks of that color, allowing the vibration of Pisces, which is Dance, now you know why dance is ruled by Pisces, feet. And also the message of Pisces that in order for you to be mystical, you have to be grounded. You have to be able to walk, the talk. And breathe into your Pisces, affecting your immune system, lymphatic system, all ruled by Pisces. Cleansing your aura, which is also ruled by Pisces. And now you focus on your shins and calves and ankles. This is a domain of Aquarius. You imagine this purple or violet color. And Aquarius is all about electromagnetic energies, information, your future, your friends. Connecting to Aquarius, realizing that your community is your ankles, what keeps you standing on two, what makes you human, what gives you your support. 
like trees in the forest that intertwine their branches so they can stand firm against wind and snow. And now you breathe into your knees, the seat of Capricorn. We talked about Capricorn associated with fear. That's why there's a lot of these images of buckling your knees or shaking your knees from fear. So imagining now how you're releasing all your fears, fears of not having enough, fear of not being recognized, fear of not having success in your career, all of these things, career, ambition, success, are ruled by Capricorn. You're bringing in this indigo color. And imagine that color covering all of your bones. The skeleton is used also to be associated with Capricorn. Think about the skeleton being used also to scare people. Imagining also the indigo covering your skin. The skin is also associated with Capricorn. That's why problems in the skin take a long time to heal. You imagine how the indigo goes to your teeth, which are also ruled by Capricorn. Now you know why everybody's afraid of the dentist. And now imagine your thighs. You can see that we're slowly climbing up. The thighs are ruled by Sagittarius. Some of you even have your hands when you meditate on your Sagittarian part of the body. Sagittarius is the truth, the whole truth. It's wisdom, philosophy, travel, optimism. You're imagining the blue color associated with Sagittarius being absorbed by your thighs. And also imagine that your liver, which is also associated with Sagittarius. That's why a lot of the great teachers, Odin, Christ, Prometheus, were stabbed in the liver. And now imagine your sexual organs and your nose. Both of them are ruled by Scorpio. And imagine this turquoise color associated with Scorpio coming in, finding your passion, your intimacy, your sexuality, Letting go of the fear of death, knowing that death is not the end. And then moving into your ovaries, if you have, your kidneys, the lower part of your back. Focusing on them as your Libra, the color green. Connected to relationships, partnerships, beauty, design, colors. Allowing all of those things to come with that green, the green that balances us. And now we know that the green color 
invokes and supports creativity. That's why a walk in nature in the middle of your day can increase your creativity, your calmness, your balance. And now you imagine your assimilating system, your internal organs, the intestines, all ruled by Virgo that serves your body. The color is yellow, green, or light green. The part in your body that is about serving you, humble, And now imagine your heart beaming with this golden yellow color. It's your Leo and your spinal cord, one vertebrate after the other. Leo is the heart, the center of the solar system. Everything needs to come in and out of the heart. Everything bows down to the heart. And now you imagine your stomach and the rib cage, the womb if you have, associated with cancer, which is orange yellow, qualities of compassion and unconditional love. And then going into your hands, your lungs, covering them with orange, which is Gemini, communication, business, connection, language, even your ability to breathe is now ruled by Gemini. Gemini is duality, breathing in, breathing out. And now focus on your throat, your neck, the place where we have a lot of tension, it's torus, red, orange, dark orange, allowing yourself to experience abundance, believing in your talents and your self-worth. And finally, focus on your head, relaxing your facial muscles, opening your third eye. The color is red from Aries, the head of the zodiac. Can you connect it to leadership, initiation? And now as you breathe deep, you imagine this white light that contains all the colors and all the frequencies and all the signs coming directly from the sun through your crown all the way down to your feet cleansing you cleaning you allowing all the signs to work harmoniously for you in the next year and take three deep breaths allowing these 
parts of your body with the colors, with the intentions to be balanced. And after the three breaths, slowly open your eyes and come back to the here and now. So thanks a lot for making it. Yeah, a round of applause. And uh, happy new moon. You guys are great. Thank you, Gal, so much. He'll be outside, too, if you want to catch him. But please go out, grab his book. It'll tell you everything you need to know. Come to his workshop February 1st, and we will see you all soon. Thank you. Tin Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielik, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also, wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.